You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com, and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today, as usual, is Tiny. Yellow. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? Good, man. Good. Uh, yeah. So today on the podcast, we're, we are continuing our, uh, review series of The Stand. Um, so I've got to confess, like, I think it's, uh, very, very us to have done this. And when I say very us, I mean me. Um, <laughs> so we, I was super excited to do, to have, uh, The Stand episode series mapped out and recorded and edited so that we could just post it like in the lead up to the new mini series. Mm-hmm. And we did that for the first three episodes of the series. <laughs> um, this is the day before Thanksgiving. We, we, this is the first time we're recording about the stand yeah. since like July or something. Right. Um, so we kind of dropped the ball there, which is classic us. Um, but yeah, but we're back and we're going to be reviewing, uh, the first two episodes of the 1994 stand miniseries directed by Mick Garris and written teleplay written by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, those first two episodes are the plague and the dreams. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing here on this episode of the podcast. But first, Tiny, do you have any Stephen King check-ins? And I, I say that having, um, Suddenly being very, very uh, terrified because I did not make any notes for <laughs> uh, news or anything. So do you have any Stephen King things that have happened in your life? Um, sort of nothing, nothing literary or okay. reading, but um, I have been making my way through the Kingcast. Oh, nice. Podcast. Uh, there's some great episodes in there. Yes. Uh, most recently this week, uh, I listened to the interview with Tom Jane. I have not listened Thomas to that one Jane. yet. It's so much fun. He nice. is an awesome dude. Nice. Um, just exactly how you would think he would be. Mm-hmm. Um, just a really, really funny guy. Um, but cool. yeah, there's, there's, there's just really cool episodes in there. Um, Devin Sawa was on there talking about Cujo. Yeah. That was a good episode. I, I was, I didn't know he was such a big reader. Yeah. He, um, he's very active on Twitter. Like he's very politically minded on Twitter. Right. Um, but he like he's a he's he's a big reader too. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, cool. Yeah. And there was an episode with I want to say Brian Fuller mm-hmm. about um uh Salem's Lot. Nice. Um I think I'm pretty sure. And uh it's interesting so Brian is a gay man and mm-hmm. he they were talking about that and they're talking about Salem's Lot as well as a few other King things that just kind of came up in conversation. And he has such an interesting perspective about, uh, he, he, he sort of sees so many things through the lens of like, he kept, I think he kept calling it, um, 
what do you keep calling it? Like, uh, like, like queer centrism or something like that. He, he, okay. used, he kept using the word queer, but like, mm-hmm. like a queer perspective or something like that. And how, right. like these things, these aspects of this story that I can't imagine Stephen King was intending to be interpreted as something like gay or like right. gay subtones or anything. But because of Brian Fuller's life experience, mm-hmm. um, it, that's how it comes across to him. Nice. And just these little, I, I can't think of the specific examples. I should have researched better, but ju- I'm just trying to say, listen to that episode. It's really interesting how nice. that's, it's, it's sort of just reflected what I love about art is you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can interpret it how you want to. And there's no, there's no rules, you know, with art and with telling a story, right. you can do whatever you want and you can interpret it however you want as a member of the audience. And that's what he mm-hmm. did. And it was really fascinating to hear him see things, reflect things through that lens, I guess. Very cool. Um, yeah. um, and there's episodes that I really want to listen to that I can't because I haven't read those stories or seen right. those movies. Like Mike Flanagan, <laughs> yeah, about the fucking man. I really want to <laughs> listen to that episode, but I've never read 1408. I saw yeah. the movie, but I don't even remember the movie. Yeah. I need to read the damn book so I can listen, just so I can listen to that episode because I love Mike Flanagan. We might need to do that then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny because I was going to ask you, um, maybe we'll save it for next time, but I was, or I was actually going to post a... I was thinking about posting a, um, what's the word I was looking for? Um, I was going to post a survey, like on the social media and stuff for Tower Junkies, asking what, uh, like, I was going to have a list of books that you and I have, neither of us have read, Mm -hmm. and say, like, which one do you guys want us to cover at the beginning of 2021? Okay. So, we'll, we'll see. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, KingCast is amazing. I, I really admire those guys, and... Yes. Are you aware of the the good news that they that they got? No. Yeah. So as of the November thirteenth, uh, Fangoria adds Stephen King podcast, the King Cast, to to its network. So sweet. Yeah. So the Fangoria, um, like they're they're they relaunched their podcast network. Uh, back in October, I think. And yeah, they, they, they've brought on the King cast, uh, as part of their network, which is amazing. Like, I think, um, Scott Wampler had tweeted this that I think, I think he tweeted something to the effect of, um, a year ago, I started this, this project. Um, a year ago, I started this project. And now after having lost my, lost my job twice, in the intervening year, I now get to make this like my job. Nice. And I'm like, that's just, that's, that's beautiful. That's the so, dream. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, patreon.com. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, super happy for those guys. Like I, like they, the, the amount of work that they put into that show. It's awesome. It's, it's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So check out the King cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of Stephen King podcasts, uh, 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 another the stand centric podcast, the Circle Opens, which I've talked about in previous episodes. Um, they've uh, she finished um, the stand, <laughs> um, oh. so I haven't I haven't gotten through all of it, but man, those, she goes chapter by chapter, and they are just like compulsive, compulsively listenable. If if that makes sense, like mm-hmm. it's just it's. It's really just really great podcasting. 
Um, but she finished the stand and now she's going to transition into a Stephen King podcast. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah. So she is, let's see. She'll be starting with a night shift and working her way through the rest of, uh, Stephen King's collected work. So different seasons, skeleton crew, all the collections and everything. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's awesome. She, uh, yeah, I, I, I really admire the work that she puts in there too. So cool. check that out. The circle opens, go to the circle com. Um, yeah, so I do have some Stephen King news. Okay. I myself don't really have any check-ins or anything, uh, but for news, there are some news about the, the All Access show um, <laughs> that dropped uh, for The Stand. Um, but actually, before I get to that, I do have some just general Stephen King news to recite. Um, I don't know if you've caught wind of this tiny, but The Outsider on HBO hmm. uh, has officially been shit canned for season two. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. even know that they were considering a season two. Yeah, I, I still honestly haven't watched season one. Yeah, but um, because I wanted to reread, reread the book, and then I just got busy. Mm-hmm. But uh, from from Deadline, uh, The Outsider uh, has been put into turnaround after HBO opted not to proceed with the second season. MRC, the studio behind the drama series, uh, is taking season two out to market, so they're going to try to sell it to another network. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pitch originally presented to HBO includes a script and Bible for a continuation of the story beyond King's book, which was the source material for season one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Who knows? And then also, I just realized we have other news that uh, is painful in its confirmation, but uh, I I should just go ahead and go. I'll go ahead and do it. Castle. Castle rock is in the house tonight. Everybody just have a king's side. Yeah. And we're gonna make you lose your mind. It's a horror or whatever. That's pretty reductive. It's because of you. That's why I came back. I, I, I know it's not fair to put, it, put this on you after all these years, and if you want me to, I'll go right now. Don't. Please. Don't leave. Please don't leave. I'm not going anywhere. strategy of go fuck yourself sounds better in Latin we have to get him to dedicate a book to you of course he will I'm his number one fan Castle Rock 
has been canceled. <laughs> it's officially Castle Rock is officially not going to have a third season at Hulu. Yeah. Um, which this was announced back in uh, November third, and I mean honestly, it. <laughs> I was under no aspersions that it was going to have a third season. Right. Um, I was holding out hope that maybe we would get one, but it was very unlikely. Mm-hmm. It's funny because <laughs> I. I months ago I felt how I how I felt about Castle Rock's chances of getting a third season is the same way that I'm currently feeling about the Twilight Zone getting a third season. Oh really? Because uh, they have not uh, CBS All Access has not announced a renewal for the Twilight Zone yet. Gotcha. But um, so Castle Rock I knew was not going to come back. It you know. Yeah. Um. And I'm not bummed about it. I, for one, liked the first two seasons. I, mm-hmm. I liked those seasons quite a bit. Um, it, yeah. How do you feel about this? Well, you can't really fault Hulu either. I mean, they mm-hmm. gave it the old college try. You yeah. Know, they, uh, they didn't like underfund it or anything. Right. I mean, the second season especially had like star power mm-hmm. with Tim Robbins and yeah. um, uh, Lizzie, Lizzie Kaplan, Kaplan and stuff like that. You yeah. know, I mean, they. They tried, and they yeah. they gave it their all, and I think they put out a good product. But mm-hmm. uh, if the viewership's not there, it's not there. Yeah, and you know? and honestly, I don't even know if that was an issue with. I don't know if it didn't have the viewers or what it was, but I know that right. the showrunners moved on to other projects at some point. Um, they were attached to the Apple, I think Apple TV Plus. Um, uh, Overlook projects. Oh yeah, yeah, which I haven't heard anything about since mm. but um but yeah the only the only downside is that the only thing that i'm bummed about is that they had like it had the potential to go on for many more seasons just because of stephen king's pedigree his his prolific nature like i don't know what stories of his they had the rights to and what stories they didn't have the rights to mm-hmm. but i mean there was a ton of stuff that they could have used. So yeah, it could have been huge. It could have been mm-hmm. one of those, you know, it could have been like a 10 season show. Yeah. You know, but, um, or if not more, cause there's just so, like you said, so much to tap into, but, um, it could have been the American horror story of Stephen King. It could have been. And I don't even like American been. horror story. Yeah. 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 I, you know, and I, I do, I, I do like the two seasons, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't, I'm not overly bummed that it's canceled. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, there's so much Stephen King content out there for us to wait months to review on a podcast. <laughs> but I, I feel yeah. like the concept was better than the execution on that show. Oh, interesting. I'll, okay. put, it, I'll put it that way. Okay. Yeah. When I first heard the concept, I was like, oh, shit, this yeah. is going to be it. Like, mm-hmm. I was super excited. Right. And uh, it never hit that anywhere close to that level for me personally. That's fair. That's fair. Have you heard anything about the sleeping beauties graphic novel? Um, I haven't. I know it got postponed. It did. I ended up canceling my pre-order because it got yeah. postponed to like March. March, yeah. Um, but I haven't heard anything about it. Okay. I was just uh, curious. Yeah. Because I had it pre-ordered as well, and then it mm-hmm. never came. I was like, well, wait a minute, and looked it up. and Yeah. Uh, I, I never bothered to see why it got postponed, though. Uh, yeah. I yeah. March 16th, 2021 is when it's now slated for release. Mm, okay. Um. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah. So I don't know what the deal is with that. Hmm. Um, also on the Stephen King of verse, um, the uh, Nosferatu was canceled as well. Oh, I uh, Joe Hill's Nosferatu on Shudder. Oh, it was on Shudder. Okay. Yeah, canceled after two seasons. Hmm. So that's that's too bad. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know what else I had for news on that front. <laughs> uh, canceled, canceled, canceled. Yeah, I mean that's all I got. Um. Yeah, I guess I hadn't heard this, but I think. Oh, um, so Steve, uh, this is from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Stephen King is one of the most adapted authors of all time, blah, blah, blah. But the headline is Stephen King laments off the rails under the dome adaptation. <laughs> um, so that's, I guess, in the Washington Post, um, he had commented about that. Hmm. So hopefully they redo under the dome at some point because it man, deserves it. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that is it for Stephen King news and check-ins. Um, I did want to mention that we got a comment um, on the show. Let me find the tweet. Um, yeah, okay, so... Um, someone on Twitter uh, said, I'm new to the pod and started starting from the beginning... Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> You've probably already been told this, but Richie Tozier's dad was the dentist, not Stanley Uris's dad. Uh, looking forward to the rest of the episodes, long days and pleasant nights. Um, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Of, like, uh, I don't remember that discrepancy or anything, but, uh, yeah, retroactively going to go ahead and say that that correction is, uh, out there now that we should have that corrected um yeah i and i had uh, responded to them and said that honestly i had read the book it was it was a long gulf between reading the book and recording that episode yeah and so like to be frank i was very shaky in the uh confidence department with talking about it at that time the details yeah yeah so so yeah um so yeah uh, we definitely appreciate that yeah um, okay, so we're going to get into our reviews of the Stand 1994 miniseries here in a second, but I just want to take a moment to mention that if you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. That $1 gets you access to a backlog of, um, at this point, over 100 patreon exclusive recordings that's just us bullshitting before we record an episode of any of the podcasts um but then i also reworked the tiers so at five dollars you get access to that uh that hundred and some uh patreon exclusive content as well as uh the occasional i'm hoping for monthly commentary tracks that i record and release onto the patreon feed at the five dollar level and then finally if you pledge ten dollars you get all of that plus early release of content. Um, so basically when I finish editing an episode of any of the podcasts, I'll throw it onto the Patreon feed at the $10 level and then schedule it for release on the main feed. Uh, sometimes that can be a couple hours before it goes live. Sometimes it can be a week or so, uh, beforehand. Cause we have, we like to kind of bank episodes and then release them and everything in theory, at least. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, we'd really appreciate your support and there's a ton of content there. If you want to support us, go check that out. If not, or if it, it puts you in any kind of financial bind, don't worry about it. This stuff will always be free. 
All right. So yeah, this uh, on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be reviewing the first two episodes of the 1994... Um, is it ABC? <laughs> um, I don't even know. Uh, yeah, I thought I had it in my notes, but I surely don't. <laughs> um, miniseries, uh, adaptation of The Stand, written by Stephen King and directed by Mick Garris. Uh, these episodes are gonna cover, uh, the episodes we're covering are the first two of the four. Holy crap. <laughs> the Plague and the Dreams. So, first up, episode one, The Plague. Um, we're going to go ahead and do spoilers. Yeah. Because it's based on a book, and yeah. So, spoilers on for The Stand miniseries, 1994. Okay, episode one, The Plague. It originally aired May 8th, 1994, and the plot summary, this is wordy, <laughs> is... When a deadly virus escapes from a government research facility, few prove to be immune to its effects. With symptoms similar to the flu, those who come into contact with it quickly die. One survivor is Stu Redman, a gas station attendant from Texas who suffers no ill effects whatsoever. Kept in a medical research facility in Vermont, doctors try to determine why he is still alive. Others that also survive include Franny Goldsmith, who lives with her dad, Nick Andros, a deaf mute, a rock musician, Larry Underwood, and Lloyd Henried, a in jail for murder. Survivors begin to have dreams either about an old African-American woman, Mother Abigail, or a much scarier evil man. So, Tiny, as I said, this originally aired on May 8th, 1994, potentially on ABC. I don't have that information in front of me. <laughs> um, we both watched it today. Yeah, I watched okay. a little bit of it today, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you started it and then... Watch the rest of it today. Yeah, yeah. So, how did you feel about this? First of all, had you seen this miniseries before? I had. I watched it, but it's been a while. Okay. I mean, it's been a while since I watched it. I feel like, and I think I've said this before, but I feel like we watched it when we worked together as security guards. We may have, maybe, but um, yeah. So, what what was your memory of it, and what were your expectations going into this rewatch? Well, I remember it. For its campiness, for its its nineties, yeah, low budget campiness, um, much akin to um, the It miniseries from the nineties, and um, yeah, the Shining miniseries from the nineties. Yep, um, it's a bit of a trend <laughs> back then, but I, I feel like TV was was still just different back then. It was it was lower budget, and it was more of a redheaded stepchild. It was less less formal and i i feel like that was just the style of the times you know I, yeah i'm not I, obviously there was good television in the 90s i'm not saying there was no good television in the 90s i'm just saying it, it was it, the way it was treated was different and it was yeah. much much more difficult to have a really good tv show yeah and especially like a tv mini series like right. something that doesn't have the legs to really have like that. I, I think about, I think this premiered the same year as this, but, um, ER, like that right. went on for like 14 seasons or something. So when you have exactly. like a long running TV show, like that's, you know, networks are more willing to pump in the money and the star power and everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm, this is just conjecture because I, I don't know the business of the 90s, but I feel like less money and less, um, I don't know. The era of prestige television was still to come. And in the 90s, having a limited run miniseries 
felt probably my assumption is that it felt like uh, a quick turnaround um right for and event television we're in the era now when oscar winners are making and starring in tv shows yeah and that yep. was just like almost unheard of in the mm-hmm. 90s so um, um so yeah I, I remember it for its campiness and like i remember it being sort of laughable yeah but i i think i think part of that memory for me is my uh, sort of more pretentious opinions in the tw- in my 20s i i'm the same way yeah, yeah. i think um, i feel like we probably both ragged on it in that same vein um, right. because we we're both snobs in our 20s living through the uh the peak tv era and then going back and watching something from non-peak tv era mm-hmm. and judging it with a harsh stick i guess right right so yeah during during this watch through it's been it's it's been much more palatable and uh i'm finding a lot more things about it that i like nice i you know i'm kind of middle of the road there okay um i echo the same thing you said i remember being campy and not very well done essentially like i remember specifically the acting not being to my liking and that honestly kind of still holds true um and I don't think it's a fault of the talent because, like, I like Rob Lowe, I like uh, Molly Ringwald, mm-hmm. I like um, I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who played Kelso in Scrubs as yeah uh, as Franny's dad. I like him, right? But there's just something about, and I don't know if it's a fault of Mick Garris as a director or what, but there's just this kind of lackadaisical kind of feel to all of the performances at, uh, to an extent in this show. Right. Um, it just feels so bland and, and lifeless and not in the way that it's not in the way that it feels intentional. It just feels like an, uh, an, in, uh, an indicator of nineties, uh, miniseries television that it's just like, this is kind of going through the motions and, not really having that much subtext to the performances. Um, and it's, it's a bummer. It's really a bummer. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it feels like a high school play or something. It, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like I'm getting graded on this you know, right. and let's get, get through the motions and, yeah. um, I, I, I'll, I agree with that, especially by the performances, mm-hmm. but I do think the characterization is there. Okay. I think that still made it through. Obviously, nowhere near as good as the book, which right. that's a given. It's pretty much impossible. But yeah, um, I still even think, with King writing it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I, I think the character characterization is largely there, um, especially with a character like Larry Underwood. I think mm-hmm. I think they did a fairly good job with him. That's interesting. Yeah. Really? Okay. That, as as yeah. far as the characterization goes, yeah, like the actor, the actor, ooh, right, <laughs> not well, great. With the characterization for me, it took it took me until about midway through. And by the way, we have not watched the third and fourth episode yet, just for right. just so you guys know. But it took me until about midway through that second episode where I was like, "Okay, Larry Underwood is at least somewhat likable." Yeah. <laughs> but there's just something, and maybe it's just the time. But like, there's something to that '90s coked out kind of aesthetic that he does. That's just like. I don't like it just didn't it didn't <laughs> resonate with me in any meaningful way. Okay. And I was like I just don't I don't like this guy. <laughs> I think I think more than anything it's uh, the what jumped out to me was the scene where he was 
he goes and sees his mom and mm. and the guilt on his face at basically the oh, shame yeah. and guilt on his face. I think that was fairly decent actually. That's that's a fair point. That is yeah. a very fair point. I'll I'll concede that. Um and and his yeah. his short temper with uh What's her face? Nadine. Nadine. Yeah. Um, that that was in tune with the character and captured decently well. Yeah, yeah, I I'll agree with you there. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the acting. Yeah, the, it just pretty hammy. Yeah, and, yeah, it, yeah. Um, how did you speaking of speaking of Larry and Nadine? How did you feel about them cutting out? Uh, what is her name? I don't <laughs> remember the character's name. Yeah. Um, Kind of, she blended together. Um, the what the miniseries does is it takes the character of um, why did I go? Oh, uh, Rita Blakemore. Rita. Yeah. Um, what this miniseries does is it takes the re- the character of Rita Blakemore and combines her into Nadine Cross yeah. by having Larry kind of be with Nadine early on. Um, and have her be the character that he has to kind of, uh, not protect, but kind of help guide mm-hmm. and everything. Right. Um, I, I honestly liked that. I thought that was a really smart choice, yep. uh, in terms of condensing the plot a little bit. It was a good idea. You have to, you have to condense somewhere, you know, yeah. an 1100 page book into six hours. Even you think six hours is a long time, but mm-hmm. with this many people and so much going on, yeah, it's, it's hard to keep them all in there. All those mm-hmm. characters. Um, so yeah, that, that was a good creative choice. I think, yeah. um, also there was another one. Uh, well, like, so Franny, her mom's not in the picture. Right. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Cause I yeah. mean, that would, I think that's, that would sort of bog down the introduction of that character mm. and right which that i found interesting as well not so like i thought i thought that, that was that made sense and everything but mm-hmm. there was also in these two episodes there's there's like one implied reference to her pregnancy that's when she's offered a beer and she declines right and like there's nothing else to indicate that she's pregnant that I can remember. I don't think so. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting because it's it's like it's concealing it, but I I don't know to what end that that is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, something else that I thought. Oh, I just remember. There's a bunch of news about this the new miniseries that I was going to bring up, but we'll talk <laughs> about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll save that for after the these reviews. That way, whatever. Yeah. Um, but. The, uh, something interesting is that it, it kind of feels like Josh Boone's new miniseries coming out in a couple of weeks. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> it's the casting of that show seems more in tune with the 90s miniseries than it is the actual book casting. Hmm. Um, which I found interesting because, like, watching it, I was like, wow, yeah, uh, Harold Lauder looks like like they cast they were the it looks like he looks nothing like he does in the book um, right or he's described in the book but owen teague who's playing him in the new series like in the promotional uh stills and everything looks a lot like the guy who plays him here right um and then also something i noticed i don't know if it's just because uh is it alexander skarsgård uh mm-hmm. is so in my head now yeah but like the vo- the voice of uh is it Jamie uh Jamie Sheridan Sheridan 
Um, like I, I hear Alexander Skarsgård in the way that he talks. Huh. Like I can hear like similarities to those voices. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. Um, huh. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I, and, and it's like one thing that's funny is, I don't know if this is just me being a dude, but like mm. Franny in the book is very desirable, sort of like bombshellish kind of very attractive hot mm-hmm. girl basically right but interesting i that's how i sort of interpret her i mean maybe hmm. I, I can't remember um i i remember her being described as attractive but i i kind of thought of her more as a girl next door kind of thing really okay kind, kind of person not thing jesus okay. christ um, so maybe I'm just pro- maybe I'm just projecting. Maybe well, the three that, times I've read the book, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds more like. And she also likes guys named Anthony. It's weird. <laughs> um, Tiny's real name is Anthony. Anyway, that is my name. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, seven and a half years of podcasting, you almost got away with it. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, the uh, uh, well, um, crap. What was I going to say? Um, yeah, she. That description sounds a little bit more like Nadine Cross in the book. That's true. Yeah, uh, sort of. And yeah. um, yeah. Which Nadine Cross? I think the. I mean, I like that casting of um, Amber Heard is playing. Oh that, yeah, right? um, yeah. Which I have issues with her as an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I physically. No, oh, yeah, it's good casting. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I guess maybe that maybe so maybe I'm projecting as as a reader hmm. in the book, but. I just I pictured her as I don't know very attractive mm-hmm. and uh, not what my point was going to be is that Molly Ringwald, while a very attractive girl mm-hmm. and good-looking woman, didn't fit what I was visually seeing I what see. I was picturing in the book. And then I can't remember the name of the actress who's playing her in this new series, but she's the same way. She's also not oh, like yeah. a beautiful bombshell kind mm-hmm. of girl. So maybe that's just, yeah. So maybe that was just a misinterpretation on my part. Uh, maybe I um, don't know. That's we'll, just that's just how I pictured Franny, yeah. I guess. We'll see how it turns out in a couple of weeks. But yeah. um, have you seen Alexander Skarsgård's uh, IMDb picture? No. The fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. It's him in like a tuxedo with no pants. Like wearing tidy whities. Yeah. Like all right. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he can get away with that. Uh, yeah. you do you, Flag. You do you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. Um, the and the casting in general of this um, miniseries is is fine. Like I like Rob yeah. Lowe. Gary Sinise is good. Um, uh, Laura San Giacomo as mm-hmm. Nadine Cross, which I don't think she pops up until episode two. Yeah, um, she's good too. Um, I do want to mention Gary Sinise. Um, we talked on the Patreon feed about the similarities between Lost and The Stand Mm -hmm. and how, like, I, when watching this miniseries, I, I, I just suddenly, like, realized how much of the overarching storyline of Lost was truly inspired by The Stand. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and seemed influenced by it and everything. 
in watching this miniseries on that same token, it's funny. Like, I don't think this was a conscious choice at all between, uh, jo- uh on Josh Holloway's part when he was cast as Sawyer and Lost. Mm-hmm. But just the, the Southern accent that Gary Sinise uses sounds exactly like Josh Holloway, his performance as Sawyer. Right. Um, and I was just like, this is, this is just weird to me. Yeah, totally. Um, but I like Gary Sinise a lot. So, so do I. And I, th- I think, I think he shines in the first two episodes, at least the first episode, mm-hmm. uh, where he's, being confrontational with the doctors, yes. While he's in captivity, oh, like yeah. I, I think, I think those are those are like some pretty good scenes. I think, the, yeah. I think those hold up pretty well, actually. Oh, me too, me too. Um, yeah, as a credit to Gary Sinise, yeah. And the kind of flip side of that with Ed Harris as uh, Starkey, yeah. Um, totally forgot that Ed Harris was in this. Yeah, I, I kind of did too. And man, I love Ed Harris. Great. He's and he's perfect for that role. Like. We, because you were guest on Anthology months back to review Seven Days in May with me, mm-hmm. um, the uh, John Frankenheimer movie, and like when watching this and seeing Ed Harris in this, I was like, I I want to seek out any and all roles where Ed Harris plays like a like like a military guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> like not necessarily a soldier or anything, but like a general or someone that is like, like in like a political, uh, thriller setting and everything. Cause that dude is just, he oozes that type of authority. Totally. Um, but, Oh, but the shitty joke I was going to make is that speaking of, um, Gary Sinise really shining in, in the role of, um, Oh my God, Stu, Stu Redman. Yeah, um, <laughs> of Stu is, I mean, Ed Harris really doctor sleeps in his role. Yeah, you're going to do that. Yeah. It was, I just knew it. Yep. Um, but <laughs> yeah, for, for such a limited role as Starkey has in the miniseries, I mean, Ed Harris really did a, did a great job with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Another part that kind of stuck out to me was episode one, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, the first episode where... They, I think it's like through, maybe there's credits? No. No, there were no credits. So, no, there's no credits. They're, basically the camera is scrolling through all the dead people at the the army base. Yes. Is this after Starkey kills himself? I think it might be. But there's a song, like there's a song playing. Oh, over, they, um, uh, are you talking about the beginning of it with the Don't Fear that, the Reaper? Yeah, I don't, that's yes, it. Yeah, Blue, yes. Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's like, I mean, it's a little... It's dated, mm-hmm. but I think that's like the camera work was really well done. I it, and it's funny. Like I agree, one hundred percent. That is, it's what opens the miniseries essentially after the whole Campion thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. I, I and I was going. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I'm gonna ask you something that's gonna be on the spot that I should have told, uh, given you uh, time to prepare. But um, I love that as a montage because that's that's our montage of the virus, and I mean it's limited and everything because whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do want to mention it does look super dated with some of the makeup effects and yeah. and like the way that I this is nitpicking at like this is totally nitpicking, but like the way some of the some of the bodies are kind of situated, it, it feels like there's no real conceivable way that these people would have just collapsed and died in this pose. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it's, it, some of it is like, are, is this like, are they frozen in time? Right. Um, <laughs> like the janitor still has the mop in his hand. And yeah. Stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it's really effective with that music, with that song. Right. And I was going to ask you tiny, 
so okay i have <laughs> this is so nerdy especially because i don't really listen to that much music like i'm not like a, a music head or anything um but i have a playlist on my uh youtube music account that is music that makes me think of or is inspired by the dark tower series mm. and i have it in a specific order that if i listen to it it's like 18 songs i'm trying to find a 19th one so i can have 19 <laughs> nice but and some of them are not as good as some of the other ones and it's uh, it's a work in progress but yeah um if i listen to it, it like i can like my thought process is like it's going chronologically through it so like wow yeah it's super nerdy and everything that is a very you thing yes uh it's really it's let me just let me just tell you here real quick. Um, the first song is uh, uh, "Hurt" by like the original uh, Nine Inch Nails. Okay. And then the second song is um, uh, the second one is "The Man Comes Around" by Johnny Cash. Nice. And then the last the last song is "Hurt" by Johnny Cash. So it uh, has that kind of cyclical kind of that's thing. That's awesome. Yeah. But anyway, um, when listening to this playlist. I like if um if the remake of Dawn of the Dead hadn't already used The Man Comes Around in its like opening like post apocalyptic breakout kind of sequence and everything like if you remember that montage I don't man. Oh, it's I mean it's amazing. It's like mm. basically Sarah Polly is leaving her house and then she's driving and like chaos is breaking out the zombie apocalypse is happening and everything i remember that i just don't remember the song okay it's all scored to the man comes around should i play a little bit of it for you i know the song okay good yeah i should have forgot that that song is playing in that scene gotcha yeah okay yeah so all that's happening and everything great opening to 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 a movie and like every time i hear it in the playlist i'm like god it would be so great if they did that for the new miniseries like if they Mm -hmm. have like a like a scored or like a like a licensed music montage of the outbreak and everything like i would want it to be in this i would want it to be this song yeah um is there a song off the top of your head that you would want to play during that Ooh. to like a montage of like the plague yeah like basically if they were to film a montage of the outbreak and it's spreading across the Mm. the u.s and the world boy i don't know i really have to think about that Love Song by Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> Off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Friday by Rebecca Black. God. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. I don't I don't know. I didn't really have to think about it. Tower Junkies, a Dark Tower and Stephen King podcast. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's one I could think of. But. Okay. Maybe we can do... Maybe you can think about that, and then we can talk about it in the next episode. Okay. So yeah, um, but yeah, that like that blue oyster cult song, like when it started playing, like I knew that that's how it opened the miniseries, um, and when it started playing, like all I could think of was the uh, more cowbell sketch. Yeah, I know. From SNL that song it is kind of ruined it a little bit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If Zombieland hadn't used it, then is it not Enter Sandman? It's um, a Metallica oh, song. Um... Uh, Love story? No. Um, Friday? No. Um, uh, gosh, for whom the bell tolls? For whom the bell tolls? Yeah. Yes. Um, 
The answer to that would be our memories, apparently. Um, <laughs> am I right? Yeah. Anyway, um, that would be cool. But, yeah, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, casting, everything. Um, mm-hmm. Something that surprised me, and then we can kind of move on to episode two, if you want, um, is how much time is given to not only the characters, but just the story. Yeah. Like, if you take these two episodes and push them together and then watch them like we did, (laughs) (laughs) it like it ends with them coming together and going to Boulder. Right. That's, that's the, like it is half of the mini series is devoted to book one, book one essentially. Right. Um, and I think that's very, uh, very cool. It's a very King thing. I think, I Mm -hmm. think if this had been, written by another screenplay uh, screenwriter that wouldn't mm. be the case. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And we'll find out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um so let's move on to episode 2. Do you have any more to say about episode 1 or if you do it'll pop up and we'll talk about it circle uh, back to it. Nothing that really jumps out, no. Okay. Um so episode 2 The Dreams aired the next day on May 9th, 1994. The plot summary is The plague has taken its toll, and only those immune to the virus are alive. The forces of good and evil are slowly taking shape. Those that have been dreaming about Mother Abigail are slowly making their way towards her in Nebraska. Stu Redman joins up with Franny Goldsmith and others. When Nick Andros and the first of the travelers arrive, Mother Abigail tells them they will soon be moving further west to Colorado. Randall Flagg is gathering his own forces as he releases Lloyd Henry from jail. Through her dreams, he also recruits Nadine Cross, who had been traveling with Larry Underwood. So, Tiny, as the story is taking shape more, um, more now, um, <laughs> as it's taking more shape, I guess, um, how are you liking it? How did you like season t- or episode two? And, uh, yeah, what were some highlights from it? Uh, highlights are really just, uh, really Nick Andros, because he's mm-hmm. kind of my favorite character. Um, yeah. in the book, and so to have him, just to see him on screen is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the casting of Rob Lowe. Oh, me too. Um, in that role, that's good casting. So, um, but I think one thing that sort of jumps out is, uh, you know, Tom Cullen. Like that's, it's such a difficult, yeah, almost impossible tightrope to walk to have to to play a mentally challenged character yeah and and i feel like with the it being the 90s too it like i feel like that i i don't i don't know how to phrase it but it feels like the 90s wasn't a time for um shows and and media to take a nuanced approach to that type of character. Right. So like it feels like that was a a time where you had to go big with it. You had to go kind of broad with that portrayal. Mm-hmm. Um for whatever reason. I don't have a reasoning behind that or anything. Right. But uh, yeah, I I think that that was a losing battle for that time. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, those the people like Tom Cullen exist in the world. Like right. that's, that's a real thing. And like, yeah, the, you know, art wants to reflect reality. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I, I don't fault Stephen King or, you know, the showrunners or whatever for having a character like that. It's just having a non mentally handicapped person play a man, mentally handicapped person is, 
it's it's just a very difficult tightrope to walk and it mm-hmm. typically is not it's typically a failure in my opinion it's typically it just doesn't work really right and you know in a book it's easy cuz you can just have the character there and it's in, in the reader's mind whereas having someone pre- it's an actor is pretending to be mentally handicapped and mm-hmm. that's a problem that's hard and it's yeah it can be offensive not that i i mean Bill Fagerback, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Mm. Um, yeah, he's he's doing his darndest, you know. But right. I, it's it's just it's it's a little it's a little hard to watch. Yeah, I um, I agree. It it definitely just kind of drags it down qu- quite a bit. And um, he he's endearing, you know. Yeah. He, he like I said, he's doing his best, and I can't fault him and say you know screw that guy or whatever right. or screw the i don't find it particularly I, offensive per se yeah i find it more ignorant yeah um, that's, that's a good word for yeah. it um and, and you know, like, i'm not up in arms about it I, mm. I just don't i don't know how to feel about it i guess and it's, right it's like i don't i don't want to put a moratorium on mentally handicapped characters you know mm-hmm. it's not it's not realistic right there yeah but and i'm i'm very curious and you know the the we live in a time now where uh, offense is a big deal and cancel mm. culture and all that stuff. I don't want to get into all that debate, but you know, um, check Tiny out on Parlor. <laughs> God, uh, <laughs> just kidding. C- you don't have a fuck. No. Okay, good. Um, CBS All Access is going to have uh, they could have some backlash. You know, I don't, I'm mm. curious how they're going to approach this character. Well. On that note, the actor that they have playing him is Brad William Henke. And he's great. He is fantastic Very in good everything I've seen actor. him in. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, honestly, I think it being written in this era now mm-hmm. and having an actor who clearly has like very good acting chops that he like he has displayed range in his previous roles and everything that I've seen him in yeah i think that they're in a good position to do a good job and to do um tom cullen justice in this in this adaptation nice i i i have faith in it as mm-hmm. well but i just uh, there's not a great track record of those kinds of characters yeah and if um, if they mess it up, then we we march. We go after CBS All Access. <laughs> yeah. They get canceled, right? Um, and I don't want to see the stand without Tom Cullen. Oh, me neither. Oh, he's got to be. He's got to be in there. Yeah, he is one of the like emotional linchpins of of the entire story, and especially him paired with Nick Andros. Yes, is such a great combination. Mm-hmm. The book, it's it's the be- it's some of the best stuff you read. It's, oh, absolutely! It's, so, it's entertaining. It's fun. It's sweet. It's um. It's everything, you know, yeah. It's 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 great. So, um, but yeah, that you know that obviously jumped out in uh, episode two. Mm-hmm. I think in episode two, yeah, episode two is um, Larry goes through the tunnel. Yes, which is such an iconic scene or mm-hmm. part of the book, and we talked about it in our review. Mm-hmm. It's so effective in the book. Yeah, um, I think it's some of the best, some of King's best, like truly scary writing, like mm-hmm. traditionally scary writing. Um, and you know, in the show, it, you know, it's network TV and it's the nineties <laughs> and they, they, I mean, they really didn't pull it off. I think and part of it is, uh, the acting is just <laughs> really ham fisted. Yeah. It, um, it felt really brief. Like yeah. it didn't feel, it didn't have that. It was brief. Yeah. yeah. It didn't have that big, like set piece feel to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Even though it looked like it was, I don't know about on location, but it was, mm-hmm. 
It was a fine. The set was fine. It oh was, yeah. I don't know what it was. It just it did not have the feel at all of of. And I feel like that's that wouldn't be. Not that it's not challenging to capture on film, but I feel right. like that's something that somebody w- would have really dug their teeth into and been mm-hmm. like, oh man, I can't wait to film this scene. I've got such a great idea for this scene and right. I really want to make it scary, but they did, they just didn't pull that off. Yeah. I, and that is something that I feel is kind of evident throughout the entire, well, the two episodes that we watched is that I feel like the big dramatic moments, the, like the big kind of, tense moments that whether it's a location or it's an altercation between characters Mm -hmm. it feels like there's such a a low effort to build that tension like it just seems so quick that they like oh those guys will beat the shit out of nick andros and then there's no like build up to it or anything there's no right there's no tension mounting there yeah um like the whole the we kind of cut to Larry and Nadine making out and everything. And there's a steamy scene and she's like, no, I can't do it. I'm, I'm, I can't do it. And then we find out that it's because, you know, the dark man, mm-hmm. but it just feels like there's not in terms of the, um, visual storytelling and everything. I don't know if it's constrained for time or it's just, just frankly, not a, a clear enough, um, eye for for tension but it's just it's there's none of it like yeah even with like the characters who we see like the classic like oh they're coughing that means they're dead <laughs> right. thing it's like yeah. we don't even get like um franny's dad he's just dead right. in the scene he dies off screen and everything the sheriff and the sheriff too yeah yeah yeah. It just it feels just kind of sloppy in terms of just the overall storytelling of it. Yeah, and even in even in p- pivotal scenes like when Randall Flagg gets Lloyd out of jail, yeah, out of prison, the, the, you know, I think I think the series is hamstrung a little bit by the fact that it's on network TV. Yeah, nineties network TV. Yeah, and it has to it has to you know reel it in, right? right. Um, but you know the the whole. Randall Flagg just barely mentions the rat. Yeah. And like, that's such a huge part of that build up to mm-hmm. that. Like you were saying, there's no build up to that right. where Lloyd is literally uh, pondering mm-hmm. that horrible decision for days. Yeah. Like, do I let myself die of starvation or do I eat the rat? And like, that's a huge uh, development for his character. And, and, and the confrontation of that with Randall Flagg is pivotal and mm-hmm. huge and so well done in the book. And I feel like that scene was just, you know, two minutes long in this series and it's the, the tension and the drama wasn't yes. there. Um, same thing when, uh, Franny and Harold meet Stu and Glenn yes. for the first time. Like oh, there's yeah. this really pivotal scene mm-hmm. in the development of these two characters that has the, the roots of, or the, the branches of this moment mm-hmm. branch into some of the most pivotal parts of the whole story. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 that again is hamstrung by network TV. Yeah, where all Gary Sinise as Stu Redman says is, "Look, man, I'm not trying to cut in on you here." Right. That's the whole conversation. Y- yeah. And oh, like yeah. that in the book, there's so much more there, and it's mm-hmm. awkward as fuck, and it's it's calculated. It's huge, and it's yeah, and it's it's calculated, and it's yeah. something that Harold focuses on for all the way to his demise in the book. Right. And 
it's it's unfortunate that something so pivotal was a non scene. Yes, really, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Like that, and I think that, that is the biggest constraint to this format and everything in, in this adaptation. And like I was thinking about that when I was watching it, I was like I'm I'm excited that like if they're cutting if they're cutting this much and they're they're putting they're smushing together so much story so that we're just getting kind of a bare bones thing in four episodes Mm -hmm. now a couple decades later in nine episodes we're gonna have a lot of a lot hopefully a lot of uh ground to cover and a lot of space to to really flesh out the characters right Uh, so that gives me high hopes there but yeah just uh, again like the altercations the the um the incidents and everything that happened just feel just so brief. Like even to go back further, Lloyd and, uh, uh, poke mm-hmm. when they go to hold up the store, it's like, I mean, it's just like, Oh, it's a quick scene, gunshots and everything. Police are there. And then the next we see Lloyd, he's in prison. It's right. It's just, it's very, there, there's not enough conveyed in that sequence. There's not enough time conveyed. There's not that desperation conveyed because like you said, that is a pivotal moment in that story. Like in Lloyd, Lloyd's relationship with flag is contingent on flag freeing him from prison and from, from being like starving to death and everything. Mm -hmm. Like that is the entire like unification of those two characters Mm -hmm. and his allegiance to, to flag Lloyd's allegiance to flag. And it's just, it's something that haunts him all the way up until his demise. Exactly. Right. And that's what makes me nervous about the scene with Glenn. That is my favorite scene of the book. Yes. Um, at the end of, at the end of the miniseries, when it, when we get to it, cause it's not, I don't know how it'll have that emotional impact because Mm -hmm. we don't have that big kind of linchpin moment of, of Lloyd, surrendering himself to um yeah. to flag so yeah and to see fucking greg kinnear and alexander skarsgård in that scene yeah i want to fucking see that really I, bad i can't wait <laughs> i really want to like, see that oh my god that's gonna yeah, be good that'd be good and uh and and nat wolf is playing lloyd right so oh, that yeah. should be good yeah. yeah um that's some heavy hitters oh yeah if they can pull that off yes so the 94 um, <laughs> miniseries, uh, we, in the episode two, we get introduced to the trash can man. Yep. Um, I don't know if you picked up on this because I don't know if you have a playlist of songs um, <laughs> that is related or inspired or make you think of the Dark Tower series like I do. I don't. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> trash can man's introduction, I, I don't remember where he is, but he's going to like a big, um, fueling station place to blow it up yeah i think that it's just a musical score i don't think it's licensed music or anything but the music that's played sounds a lot like zz top's velcro fly does it yes which in the wastelands which was published in 1991 mm-hmm is like what is like what is used to compare to the god drums as they're you know walking the path of the beam right so i wonder if that was intentional or if that's just me trying to you know project something into it yeah it's a loose connection we'll call it that (laughs) yes the music did not jump out to me in that scene okay um that's interesting though 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if any of our listeners have the inside scoop on that. Please let me know. Yeah. I'm gonna actually look up who did the music for uh, the miniseries mm-hmm. because. Oh yeah, WG Snuffy Walden. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Famous yeah. ZZ Tophead. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. He is the. He was also the composer for The West Wing. Right. I did know that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love Matt Frewer though. Um, he's a great actor. Oh yes, as, as Trash Can Man. Um, yeah, and he's again. This is a difficult character to kind of mm-hmm. wrap your head around, and and I think I think he's he's a little over the top mm-hmm. as Trash Can, but uh, but I think Trash Can is over he the is top over the anyway, top. Yeah. Right? It's again, it's a difficult. Uh, and isn't is Matt Ezra Miller playing him? Yeah, I was going to bring that up after yeah. the reviews. Yeah, that's uh, again. I I am looking forward to that. Me too. I like that is one of those things where, and I think I posted this on the social media stuff, but I I can't imagine a like if if I were an actor, I couldn't imagine a more fun role than playing like just batshit insane trash can man. Right and. Ezra Miller, based on everything I've seen him in, I feel is going to be very good in that role. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I keep looking up, looking it up, but um, I can't find. I don't think that um, it is. But Matt Frewer, I I thought for a while that he was uh, that he was also in Under the Dome, but I don't think he was. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah. But yeah, I mean, really, with the first two episodes, or actually with just the one episode, there's very little. Trash can man there. Like there's not yeah. much to grab onto. He's really just introduced more than anything. So right. He, I think the meat of his performance is in the next two episodes. Yeah, I agree. It does end with him. Okay. Yeah. The actor I was thinking of that was in under the dome is Ned Bellamy, not Matt Furrer. So oh, okay. scratch that. But anyway, um, the episode, the second episode of the stand does end with him arriving in Vegas and right. we get, Kind of, kind of that, which is it's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, less ceremonious than in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, it really is because uh, he just lays down on the table. Yeah, and, and Lloyd, <laughs> Lloyd's like, oh yeah, he's been flag's been waiting for him. He's he's special. We'll let him sleep. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in the book, it's like he's special. Right. Flag has plans for him. Right. It's like okay, let's go back to playing cards, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's just kind of, again, kind of lifeless and uh, right. Dull. Rushed. I don't know how else yeah. to explain it. Yeah. Um, the guy that plays Glenn Bateman in the '90s series was Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ray Walston. I think he's really good casting. Me too. For uh, for Glenn Bateman. Yeah. Kind of a quick talking, talks too much, kind of mm-hmm. overshare sort of guy. Yeah. Um, but very, obviously very brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, he just he impersonable. Personable. Yeah. yeah. He, like, he plays that very well. Yeah, I really like the kind of connection or the or the the bond that's formed between him and Stu in mm-hmm. the miniseries. I think they did a really good job of depicting that that bond. Yeah. Did you, this is, this is pertinent to the conversation. Did you ever watch, um, Big Little Lies on HBO? I didn't. Okay. Cause that, so that's, um, uh, my favorite performance that Alexander Skarsgård has ever given. Oh, nice. He won a Golden Globe for it, I want to say. Okay. Totally earned. Um, that. That uh, performance makes me excited for him as Randall Flagg. Nice, because there there is a 
terrifying intensity that he exudes in that series that is perfect would be perfect for Randall Flagg. Like awesome. Um that just kinda came to me. Um Paige and I were talking about mm-hmm. that show the other day because we just got so uh, this sorry this is a bit of a tangent. Mm-hmm. HBO Max was not available oh, on, yeah. on it was like Fire Stick or Roku. Yeah, it wasn't, but now it is. Yeah. Um and we can get it through her parents uh direct T V account. So nice. We just got it we got logged into it on um on uh, our Amazon Fire Stick, and uh, we were scrolling through it, and we we never watched season two of Big Little Lies. Oh wow! Okay, which, uh, we need to. Um, hmm. uh, but yeah, it, that made me think of uh, Alexander Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah, he was so fucking good in that season. Yeah. Um, um, I I think he's gonna nail Randall Flagg. Nice, I I do too. Yeah. Um, also, brief aside on HBO Max, I highly recommend the show Love Life uh, with Anna Kendrick. Okay. Oh, is that uh, where with Donal Logue as well? No. No, that's something else. I think no. something else. Uh, Love Life is kind of a season-long anthology show where it's her. Every episode is her with a different significant other, and it's like it's <laughs> it's kind of like a prestige version of How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> okay. But like i you're not selling it so far well yeah it, <laughs> i'm kidding i i i actually never finished the first season but okay it's uh i mean it's 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 beautiful like it's really well done nice. um but speaking of how i met your mother i just realized or i just found out on imdb marshall's dad marshall's dad yeah um yeah <laughs> the uh uh actor that plays tom cullen um yeah god i can't i'm scrolling um uh, Bill Fragenbach. Yes, Bill Fagerbacky. Fagerbach. Yeah. Um, he um plays uh played Marshall's dad in How Much Your Mother, so that's interesting. Sure did. Yeah. Um, and he's Patrick on SpongeBob. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. He's gotten into voice acting largely, mm-hmm. I think. Nice. Yeah. Um. Oh, something else we did not talk about. I think this was in the first. It was in the first episode. Um, Kathy Bates. Yeah, person. I forgot about that. Yeah, that I thought was really cool. Um, if I remember correctly, in the novel, it's a TV broadcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and like that would have been better, honestly, right. than, than that. But. I like the idea of this radio program in that, like, cause it's, it is enough that it's kind of on the edge of reality. Like, like I, they don't touch on it in the, in the adaptation or anything, but in my head canon, it's like, okay, they, like, this is real, but it's also like they can, they have like kind of deniability in their, in their conscience, consciousness, like, well, what if it's fake? I didn't see it. Like I heard this. Mm-hmm. What if it's? What if that's not really what happened? What right. if it's a War of the Worlds thing? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which also all of the uh, uh, the scenes of Ed Harris as Starkey saying like, "Oh, it's not. It's just the bad version of the flu. <laughs> yeah. It's not real and everything." That had a very special resonance here in 2020. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So these first two episodes, anything else you want to talk about? Um, oh. th- very briefly, there's a couple of 
a couple in the first two episodes. There's a couple of good set pieces, I think. Okay, that are a little bit surprising given the low budgetness of it. Like mm. they did some, they clearly did some filming in New York City, I think. Yeah, um, which is a little bit surprising given how it's sort of low budget. Mm. Um, but then I really liked the setting where uh, Stu meets Glenn Bateman. I think they're in like yeah. in Vermont, maybe or probably I can't remember. Um, but just that there's like a a creek running through the property mm. it's just really beautiful and i, I agree but <laughs> also the staging of that scene was kind of weird yeah because Stu is like right up on him right <laughs> i thought that was really awkward yeah there's a lot of awkwardness yeah but, um so yeah there, but then like there'll be something where um when larry meets lucy swan and joe mm-hmm. on the highway and like I think Des Moines is in the background, like yeah. burning. It looks like something somebody drew on Microsoft Paint or right. something. <laughs> looks really bad. So yeah. there's a, there's a give and take, I guess there. Mm. But that's just something else that kind of stood out to me. So yeah, and that introduction of of Lucy Swan and and, and uh, Joe is another case of the show compartmentalizing drama in order to pr- assume I assume to fit a runtime because. One of the most interesting parts of that in the book is Joe wanting to murder Larry. Uh-huh. And we get a just like very brief, like, oh, I'm going to stab you with a knife. Right. Like, oh, no, sport, you're okay. <laughs> and then Lucy's like, well, when I found him, he was almost feral. Right. And it's like, okay, well, it would have been cool if we could have seen that evolution. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But um, another thing that we haven't talked about is uh julie julie lowry um yeah yeah shawnee smith yes shawnee smith i always yes. remember her name i don't know why yeah um saw two yes saw one mm-hmm. um but and saw three yeah um anyway she like i think she did a very good job with that role and it's funny because like i remember that scene like when i was reading the book or listening to the audiobook like I was picturing the miniseries, <laughs> like I was picturing the pharmacy, like that's that, that right. location. And I didn't realize it cause I hadn't seen this in a long time. So mm-hmm. that, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention this is a, this is a nitpick. This is not worth mentioning really. So I apologize, but you can see a boom mic. Um, Oh really? <laughs> yeah. When she's, when she's walking out of the pharmacy and right before she tells Tom Cullen that, it, that the medicine is poison, you can see like a boom mic on the bottom of the frame, just pop into frame. Oh really? Yeah. So that's a, that's a bummer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked that altercation that in that, uh, that kind of situation there. I, I it was think. true to the book. Yeah. yeah. Except they didn't do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah. Um, so, Hemingford home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mother Abigail. How'd you feel about that? Them all coming together and everything and the kind of big, like, oh, we got to make a stand. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, and, you know, I think, I think Ruby D is kind of doing her best. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I, I think we've talked before and it's been said in other forums by other people that the whole like the magical m- magical black, black person thing yeah. is, it's in this day and age it's hard it's kind of hard to watch yeah yeah um and it's i don't know like i, I feel like the character is sort of played up or mm-hmm. it's it's um the 
sort of a borderline defensive things about the character are um too emphasized i guess i don't know it's it's just kind of cringy to me yeah and i feel bad because ruby d is just doing her job mm-hmm. and like that's what the character was and that's what the yeah. character calls for but it's it's just it's sort it's sort of like uh sort of like tom cullen yeah i it's, I agree. I didn't have as as hard a time with that, honestly, with, okay. with this one. Um, but I will say that, uh, yeah, Ruby D does good, but hopefully Whoopi G does gooder. <laughs> nice, um, <laughs> Whoopi G. But, uh, but yeah, I that kind of mysticism does seem a little bit like a fine line. Yeah. Um, in twenty twenty viewing, as, as right. Uh, essentially but something else that i that we skipped over is her um interaction with flag um oh yeah how'd you feel about that also yeah uh it was it was fine it's it's hard to look past the you know the campiness yeah glowing red eyes and shit yeah it's um it's a little goofy yeah i i don't think i liked it like as 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 plotting like because mm-hmm. I, I would rather them not have any interaction. Right. Um, they don't in the book. No. Yeah. And I, that's that was kind of a, a kind of bummer to me. Right. Um, and and I I feel like the in, so in the first like two books of of the book mm-hmm. uh, the first two acts, uh, Randall Flag is very he's seen as like this sort of untouchable infallible like force of nature that's beyond terrifying and just like people quake in his presence Mm -hmm. and in the third book that falls apart really quickly yes because he's he's losing so clearly he has no morale on his Mm -hmm. side right he's um questioning a fair election (laughs) he's refusing to concede (laughs) god um (laughs) But I feel like in that scene where they confront or uh, Mother Abigail kind of confronts him and tells him to get out or whatever, I feel like those threads are already starting to unravel right there. Yeah. That's what I don't like about it is that he's supposed to be fucking terrifying and right. just this immovable force yes. that they like the in I feel like in, in books one and two the odds are so stacked against the mm-hmm. people in Boulder and then it because of morale it falls apart and because of the inherent goodness of the people who are on the dark man's side mm-hmm. they start to just see all these cracks in their belief system or whatever and it just starts to fall apart so quickly in the third book Mm -hmm. but i feel like with that interaction she just so quickly and easily dismisses him that that sort of idea is already planted in episode two uh yes and it also adds this the mysticism the whole god is on her side thing yeah which that I feel like, and we'll see with these next two episodes, but that I feel like is setting it up to undercut the faith, the the leap of faith that the that the Boulder Free Zone has to take mm-hmm. in order to make their stand. Like that. That's true. Yeah. Actually, showing her calling on God to make him disappear and everything, and it sort of working, just feels like a superfluous detail that doesn't need to be in the show specifically because we're presumably going to have a leap of faith kind of thing where they're going to go on a pilgrimage based solely on this, these words of this woman that 
they've they barely know on on based on this faith that they may not necessarily believe and just to show us that is just kind of i don't know it just it doesn't it feels like it's lacking it feels like it's avoiding having to have subtext or nuance going forward yeah um it just makes it too clear cut like good and evil that's true yeah 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 that's a good good way to put it yeah and i don't know if that's a product of 90s television or if that's maybe a a producer's note producer's note and i mean blasphemous as it might be maybe it's stephen king in a in a format that he's not familiar writing in or he's he's not as uh, like he doesn't he's too restricted in that format to write that type of subtext mm-hmm. um and nuance but i i don't know um yeah yeah so we'll we'll see um mm-hmm. yeah next we have the betrayal and the stand yep. uh the next two episodes of the stand 1994 miniseries do you have any closing thoughts on these episodes of this miniseries um i i, I do appreciate so far, these two episodes, I, mm-hmm. I appreciate the the miniseries more than I did. Um, I I I don't think it's particularly good mm-hmm. in almost any way, right? Uh, but I I sort of feel like I think of the three, at least so far. And I obviously need we need to watch episodes three and four, but right. of of the Shining, it and the Stand, I feel like this is the least desirable of those three. Okay. The least quality of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like all three of them are worth a watch for King fans mm-hmm. because there's, especially it and, and the shining, cause there's details that you don't get in other adaptations. And it's, yeah. it, it's, it's still good to see visualizations of what you were imagining in a book. And I, I, th- I think they're worth a watch for those reasons, which are very basic <laughs> yeah um but I, I i just i don't know for the casual viewer it, it won't mean anything but i just i feel like as a king fan it's it's still fun to see yeah i i agree it's it's a nice kind of uh i guess timestamp or not timestamp but um Oh God! What's the thing that you you bury and then come back? Time capsule. Time capsule. Yeah, yeah. I always wanted to make a time capsule. I know, and right? Yeah. Do you want to? I'm good. Yeah, let's let's do it. Okay, we're doing a digital one right now. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's an interesting time capsule of of an era of television before actual good television. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's something. <laughs> um but yeah i'm i'm looking forward to seeing how these next two episodes shake out so um so yeah those are our, rev- our reviews of the first two episodes of the 1994 stand miniseries before we go tiny there's a couple of news things about the new miniseries that i want to talk about if you okay. are willing yeah and able okay i'm curious so there are a couple of news things we already touched on ezra miller playing trash can man and there was um I'll put links to all this in the show notes, of course. So, uh, the stand is premiering on CBS all access on December 17th and it's going to have, um, nine episodes mm-hmm. and let me see. There are, um, the circle opens, uh, posted a picture or posted a, um, 
episode titles and dates for the stand. So December twenty, December seventeenth, the first episode is going to premiere called The End. Um, and I'm not going to go through all of the titles, but it's going to be December seventeenth. Then uh, uh, Christmas Eve is going to be episode two. New Year's Eve is going to be episode three. And then January 7th, 14th, 21st, 28th are going to be episodes four through seven. Um, And then The Stand is episode eight. That's going to be on February 4th. And then the finale is going to air on February 11th on CBS All Access. Um, So that's interesting. And uh, the other piece of news is that, Tiny, do you remember there being a rumor that Marilyn Manson was going to have a role in this iteration of The Stand? I do not remember that, no. Okay, well, there was a rumor that Marilyn Manson was going to have a role in this iteration <laughs> of The Stand. Okay. And so Josh Boone uh, actually commented on that uh, uh, some time ago, or a couple days ago. So he said, just to clarify, Marilyn Manson and I had long discussed him taking on the role of the kid in The Stand. Oh. Um, he and the and this is interesting. He and the great shooter Jennings even recorded a killer cover of the Doors song "The End," <laughs> that ultimately proved too expensive to use. Damn, that's a bummer. Yeah, uh, the show was made on a very tight budget, and some of the dreams we had went to the wayside. The kid was another casualty. When Manson wasn't able to make it work schedule-wise, the storyline was ultimately excised and never shot, which is for the best, as no one could have slayed the role, slayed that role like Manson would have. Hope to work with him in the future. I would have loved to see that. That would have been interesting. I recently saw a video of, not to get on a soapbox or anything, but there is a video of, um, oh God, who is it? Um, A couple of actresses did testimony. Um, One was, uh, oh, Evan Rachel Wood did like a testimony like detailing like abuse that she had suffered at the hands of oh, Marilyn really? Manson. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's I can't say I'm surprised. But. No, and it's like it's it's I'm glad that he I fuck him. <laughs> like, oh really? Okay. Yeah, it's it's dis, it's it's really despicable. I did not know that. Yeah, uh, I just recently saw it like a few weeks ago. Damn. Um but the also um uh actress who formerly made an appearance on the obsessive viewer. Um Esme Bianca also came out as a victim of abuse from Marilyn Manson. Really? Yeah. That sucks. Yep. So I'm glad that uh, he's not going to be involved in that. And I'm glad that they had the courage to, you know, uh, come forth about it. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, links to that will be in the show notes. It's, it's a, I was wondering if the kid was going to make an appearance. Yeah. I, I, I kind of figured not. I, yeah. Again, really, that's tricky. It's tricky mm-hmm. to do. Um, and I know they're not as obviously CBS All Access is not as hamstrung because it's not truly network TV, right? Um, much like Twilight Zone, you know they mm-hmm. they're not hamstrung by any of that, any any gratuitous or um, uh, mature content. I guess I don't know how else right. to explain it, right? But um, FCC regulations, and stuff. right? There you yeah. go. Um, but yeah, the kid is man. It's one of the coolest parts of the book, and. Um, the, the edge of your seat definitely um as a reader mm-hmm. and it'd be it'd be great to see on the screen but tricky to pull off um and just i, I can understand why with two adaptations it's not been adapted <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's not it's not to the it's not at a similar level as what i'm about to make but it, i mean it's 
kind of like the the sewer scene and right. it Ex- like that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. see how I on one hand I don't see how it can be adapted um without mm-hmm. changing it entirely. Um and also honestly I don't see why it would need to be in an adaptation. It doesn't need to be the biggest the biggest thing that it achieves in the book is that it kind of gives trash can man a boost of confidence. And I think it sort yeah. of changes his opinion of himself maybe mm-hmm. and gives him in kind of some, a warped fucked up way. <laughs> right. It gives him some yeah. worth. Um, but I, I don't think that's, I think he also achieves that through the friend friendships, the, like the first friendships of his life that he makes. Yeah. Once he gets to Vegas, I think that can be just as effective. I, I agree. And so basically what you're saying is that the real stand was the friends we made along the way. Look, I just want to see a 45 get shoved up a guy's ass, okay? Right. (laughs) Jesus. I just want to see that, and I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, I'm going to isolate that audio (laughs) and use it as blackmail. I can never run for office. Right. (laughs) Let's be real. Yes, you can. (laughs) That's true. Thanks, Donald. Yes. Okay, well, I think that'll do it for this episode of Tower Drinkies. Yeesh. Okay, well, thank you guys so much for listening to us, and we are going to be back soon with uh, our conclusion of the 1994 miniseries, and I, I might end up doing a solo thing on the comic series. Okay. Um, since we're getting really close to the to the new uh, miniseries, I, I don't know, and I, I'm... Yeah, I'll talk about it off the off mic because I I really want us to get screeners to it. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll touch it. I'll reach out to them. But anyway, um. Yeah. So so thank you guys so much for listening and check out our other stuff at uh the obsessive viewer, uh, obsessiveviewer dot com and at uh, anthology anthologypod dot com. Um. Any final words, Tiny? No. Okay, cool. Well, uh, me neither. Uh, We are recording this the day before Thanksgiving, so if you're in the States, then happy Thanksgiving, and please hopefully be safe, and uh, hope you guys are uh, being staying safe and healthy and everything. Uh, Do we need to do a COVID check-in, Tiny? Uh, We can. Okay, how do you you feel about COVID? Um, You know, I think this wave might be more scarier than the first. Yeah, I agree. Because people are desensitized? Yes, we are in the we're on the cusp or in the midst of the second wave of coronavirus in the pandemic. We are nine months into the pandemic, and fuck it, I hate everything about yeah. this and about the government's response to it or lack of response and the people's mm-hmm. laziness and obtuseness about it. Right. Um. Just yeah. The two things that will get us through this pandemic death and taxes (laughs) are uh leadership Mm -hmm. and personal responsibility and those are two things that america does not do well right leadership can be done but for the first nine months it hasn't been there that's Um, why i here at the tower junkies podcast god damn it am pledging to it but people have to take personal responsibility Mm -hmm. and that responsibility has been politicized i keep making the joke in my head and i think on patreon at another point but like you are a libertarian libertarian libertarian-minded person Mm -hmm. you 
you you um lean libertarian i'm a left libertarian okay that's the way like, i put it yeah my not knowing much about libertarianism <laughs> but knowing that at its core it's about people having personal responsibility and like not having government regulations and stuff and being right. able to make up their own minds in my head and this is mostly snark mostly hyperbole but i'm like i did has 2020 just kind of completely debunked the idea of libertarianism <laughs> like entirely uh sort of okay yeah I mean, cool <laughs> i don't know cool cool yeah um yeah so anyway <laughs> um, yeah i don't know uh the world sucks hope you guys are being safe and healthy <laughs> And, uh, you know, I hope if anyone is, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know. I just, I just, I'll leave it on this. Did you hear what I think the, was it the Biden transition team said about Trump? If he doesn't leave, <laughs> hmm. uh, I think it was a transition. I, I don't know who it was, but the, like the statement was, um, the the United States government has no problem removing trespassers. <laughs> Should it come to that? <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. So, that's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this and listening to us. Also, congrats, Tiny, because the last episode that I released, the book three of The Stand, was our 50th episode of Tower Junkies. Oh, yeah. 50th. Yes. 50 episodes. Nice. In like four years. <laughs> but 50 episodes that's that's crazy yeah. um so that's that's exciting so mm-hmm. here's to maybe four more and then i'm kidding we're gonna be doing this for as long as we can <laughs> right <laughs> and as inconsistently as we can <laughs> so okay well thank you guys once again for listening this is the third time i've said that so i'm really gonna end it now yes um tiny i will see you next time and uh long days and pleasant nights and may you have twice the number <laughs> Almost forgot it again. I was going to say, is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. I think that the visceralness of the feeling was too intense for me to share on a Facebook post. <laughs> um, but I can share it on Patreon, I guess. Okay. Um, but like two, th- two things. Um, one is, uh, the ending of take this waltz. Okay. Which is one of my favorite movies, Sarah Pauly from 2012 or 2013. Um, the, like that movie does such an incredible job of conveying attraction between two, like forbidden attraction between two people who shouldn't be attracted to each other or, mm-hmm. or it's about, it's about a, a married woman having an emotional affair or flirtation with a, with a man essentially. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know, I saw it at just the right time in my life to really be taken in with it. Um, but the ending, first of all, it has a sequence scored to Leonard Cohen's, uh, take this waltz. That is just a beautifully filmed sequence. Like it is, it is a time lapse that is conveyed in, uh, what appears to be a single take, uh, for the duration of the song that is essentially just showing what the character has become at this point in the movie. Um, 
and it is just heartbreaking and just it's really like like i each time i've seen it like a few times each time i see it i'm just gobsmacked by just the talent of it and the like impressive filmmaking and everything Mm -hmm. and just the emote the raw emotion of it is just really intense um Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter, at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. Finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!